Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good to see everyone as we gather to pray and worship and now hear from God's word. This week's going to be kind of like last week in a sense. I'm going to be in multiple texts, so... Feel free to jot it down or just look at the words behind me as uh, I'll, I'll be referencing multiple scripture uh, throughout this message. But we're in week three of our Vision Value series that we've called United. Uh, this is our third value. Can anyone tell me what that value is? Mission. Mission. All right. You guys passed the test. We can continue. Um, so this idea of mission. Once we realize the beauty of the gospel that we looked at the first week, and then we learn as we looked at last week that we have this family in which we do life together with, then we realize that we've collectively been sent by Jesus on his mission. Acts 1.8 tells us, it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so we have received the power of the Holy Spirit, and now we are to go and to tell of this message. We are to be his witnesses to all places, so Portland, Oregon, our nation, and our world. This is why our vision at Sojourn, which we'll look at further next week, is to be a family of ordinary people, changed by the love of Jesus, the gospel, in the context of family, living on mission to our community, our city, and our world. In other words, we don't live for ourselves. I always like to say that the church is, is, is the one place that we, we exist for our non-members. We exist for those who aren't part of us yet. And now devoting one's life to mission it's difficult. It's, it's challenging. My heart always thinks about those who've been sent out to reach the, what they call the unreached. Those who've never heard the name of Jesus. There's no known Christian in their people group. And they're often living in hard places. They're often living in, in physically hard to reach places, but also difficult, challenging circumstances. And while we may not be called to live overseas as missionaries, some of us might be, we should all be involved in God's global mission. So that's one thing as a church that we're looking at ways that we can be involved in his mission globally. That goes back to our Christmas missions offering. That's a small way that we're involved with God's global mission, saying, hey, we want to give money away to help those who are willing to go and help reach the unreached. But we're all called to God's mission somewhere. And so that's what I want us to see as our posture is that part of our identity as a Christ follower is that of a missionary. The great British preacher Charles Spurgeon famously said this, Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. At Sojourn, we want to be a family that's made up of missionaries. And this is why we conclude our gathering every single week. We get somebody to come up here, and it's not just, okay, we've got to figure out how do, you, how, do you, how do you wrap this up, right? Do we just pray? We always kind of do something about sending you out. We send you out to be in the church. And what we mean by that is we send you out to be a missionary, to wherever it is that you go throughout the rest of your week. So this means, when you think about this, that we send out missionaries into multiple spheres of influence every single week. So every single Sunday, we finish our gathering, we send you out. We send missionaries out to the government. We send missionaries out to the arts. We send missionaries out to the medical field. We send missionaries out to the education realm. We send missionaries out to recreation, and so forth. And so even as a small church, we have missionaries in all of these areas of life day in and day out. And so this morning, the main idea, if you are taking notes, if our slide guy will get to the next slide, please. Main idea is following God's mission, while difficult, refines us and refocuses our purpose. 
as people of God, or as people who are practicing the way of Jesus. So following God's mission, while difficult, refines us and refocuses our purpose. So number one this morning is mission includes our holy living. Go ahead and go to the next slide. 1 Peter 1, 15-16 says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, my generation, the millennials, were known as the generation who got excited about going on mission out there. I mean, especially if you're a part of the church culture. like It's like, man, we're going, and we want to go to hard places and send us out. We want to be on mission. But oftentimes, we neglected our own personal holiness as a result. Because we got so excited about going on mission that we forgot to focus on our own holiness. And so you would find passionate missionaries to the nations who were willing to go over there to this foreign land to share the gospel, who had never shared the gospel with their neighbors across the street in their own nation. This is why you find social justice-oriented Christians who would describe their own formation to the way of Jesus. This is why you find church planners and pastors who are living a double life, and you see the news stories. You know, how, could, how could this happen? This was, this was this person who was out there on mission. Christopher Wright says, Our holiness is as much a part of our missional identity as of our personal sanctification. It continues, if we preach a gospel of transformation, we need to show some evidence of what transformation looks like. And so the point being that we can sometimes get so excited about mission that we forget and we fail to realize that as much as a mission is a going out, it also involves a going out from worldliness. And so we think about our lives and how we live our lives, that we need to abandon the worldview of self-interest and adopt the worldview of God's mission. And so our holiness is part of like the practices that we're doing. Like, why do we want to implement practicing the way of Jesus? Because we want to look more like Jesus. And then we want to make sure that we're looking more like Jesus before we're calling the world to also conform to the ways of Jesus. And so what Peter's trying to get us to see in this passage is that everything about our relationship with God should reshape our entire lives and how it is that we live. Like we should live differently as a Result. We should view things now differently in our lives as a result of our relationship with God. Because it's really a clear command. It says, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And so what does that mean for us as individuals? What does that mean for us collectively as a church? There's one, we have to resist the conformity to within ourselves. What does the way that you live say about your true hope? Think about when others look at your life. Do you live as if God is actually your true hope? Or is God just something you've kind of added to other aspects of your life? We have to resist, number two, conforming to the world. Do I look more like the world, or do I look more like my Father in heaven? This is, once again, going back to kind of the practices. Like, right, ideally, every year, you're going, man, I look more and more like Jesus, and less and less like the world. Number three, we have to submit to our Holy Father by allowing God to conform us. And whom else, or what else, might you be placing your hope that's not in God? Romans 12, 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Christopher Wright continues, God's intention to bless the nations is inseparable from God's ethical demand on the people he has created to be the agent of that blessing. And this one is really, um, really pointed just kind of to the church as a whole. And, it, and he says, an immoral church has nothing to say to an immoral world. And so mission includes and starts with our holy 
living. Phrase me number two. Mission includes all of creation. Romans 8, 19-23. It says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The good news of Christ's resurrection is good news for all of creation. When he tells us here that all of creation is groaning for redemption because of sin. Because of sin, there's suffering in this world. So if you ever wonder, why is there suffering in this world? Why do I have to suffer? Why do I go through this? Why am I frustrated? Because of sin. It all goes back to sin. And all of creation is groaning because we long for redemption. And so all of creation shares in this. I mean, everything in the world is decaying. Just look around. I've used this example many times. Look in the mirror. If you wear glasses, that's why I put wearing mine. If you wear glasses, you're like, oh, my eyes are decaying. There's something wrong with them. I have to put on glasses. Or if you see wrinkles or if you see scars. Think about relationships in your life. If you have conflict with those. Think about the anxiety and stress that some of us go through that feels like it's completely out of our control. That is creation groaning for redemption. Think about sickness. And ultimately, probably the best example to hit this point is death itself. Death is not, like, death should not happen. That is not, that, that is, it, yes, it is natural, but it's not natural, right? There's something wrong with this picture of why death happens. We're longing for redemption. That everything in creation is longing for this. Everything has a smell of decay, which is why it's, it's, it's tragic if we have just kind of a temporary view of life. As this is the best that we get, instead of an internal perspective. Keller puts it this way. He says, this is the reason why the best metaphor for the current state of the creation is as being in childbirth. Jesus himself used the same image in Matthew 24, 8. The painful pains are not meaningless because the world is giving birth to a new version of itself. And so the Apostle Paul in this passage of Romans is saying, before you embrace the good news, you do have to accept the bad news and realize that, man, everything is decaying. Like, everything is not okay. Everything is not as it should be. Just turn on the news and you will realize that. But it's creating this longing. I think if anything, the good news for us or that we can point out is there's this longing for something better. There's this longing for, for a redemption as things the way they should be. And so as those in Christ who are called out on a mission, we can basically go point back and go, hey, let me share something with you. You're right. It shouldn't be this way. In Genesis 1, God created everything and it was perfect and it was good. He created the plants and animals and man and woman. And, and then, unfortunately, and you, you, know, you flip over and say, and this is where it happened. But then you get to jump and say, but then he, you know, there's this promise when it was coming. That's what we celebrate at Christmas as those who are Christians. And then, guess what? Easter's coming up. And this is when we celebrate that there is redemption. It's made possible because there is something better that's coming. There's a glory that's going to come and it's going to overtake the decay and the bad. It'll bring nature into it. It's going to be restored and redeemed. Colossians 1.20 tells us, and, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his, Christ, of his cross. And so Christ comes to reconcile all things. It actually tells us in Scripture, that includes humans, probably mostly humans, but humans, plants, animals, 
He directs on all things back to himself. As we look at all of creation, we see all of it groaning for redemption, which is why people of the resurrection, we should not be apathetic about the flourishing of God's creation. We should, be, we should care about the physical world around us. And the part of mission includes that we want to see all of creation thriving and, and getting back to the way that it should be, and that comes through the cross. Because mission includes all of creation. Which brings me to number three. Mission requires us to serve and to speak. Matthew 25, verses 35 through 40 says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then uh, I'm just going to kind of summarize Matthew 28, which is a great commission. He says, Go, tells us to make disciples, baptize them, and teach obedience. And so we see here that gospel witness involves multiple things. It involves both word what we're proclaiming, what we're sharing, and also involves deed. Maybe roll up our sleeves and actually actually doing something. It involves proclamation and demonstration. So we speak, yes, that's part of it, but we also serve. We embrace the God of justification, but we also embrace the God of justice. Now, some of us are more comfortable with the serving piece. I would almost tilt it towards the majority of us are more comfortable with the serving piece. So we had a serve night the other night. And it's like, cool, I can show up, I can chop some onions, cook some, cook some food, I can, I can put out some plates and bowls, I can play some games, and you know, I can hang out with these men, like, I can do this. Like, we're, gonna, like, we're probably naturally more comfortable with that. And then some of us, maybe a few, are more comfortable with the speaking piece. You know, like, like I've actually got to say something, I've actually got to share something, share this news. But mission requires both. And therefore... We should all be involved with both, both the serving and the speaking, both the proclamation of word and deed. Brett McCracken says, Indeed, the awkwardness of sharing your faith publicly is especially pronounced in a world where private belief is fine. So as long as you keep it private. For many of us, the fear of offending someone or ruining a relationship often keeps us silent. Outside describes the environment where we live. It describes our city. You know, I came to this city as a transplant here, man. Least religious, most atheistic city in the nation. I was like, man, people are just going to be like persecuting me. And, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect. But the longer I'm here, the more I realize, like, I think people genuinely like me as I build relationships. No one's really hostile towards me. But what I think I've also learned is, like, that's cool that you have that Jesus thing. It's a little bit weird, but you're in, keep Portland weird, whatever. That's your weird version, but that's fine. Like, keep that to yourself and compartmentalize that over here. And then when we're over here, then. Just don't, don't bring that in. And that's the culture where we live. And so for many of us, this part of the mission of sharing is for fear of offending someone, right? And I think that comes from a good posture. But also there's this like, man, it's going to be awkward. And we're in the relationship. And, and I'm with you. Like, honestly, I, I get that. But at the same time, I think the longer I'm here, the more what I observe is that might be true. But these same people, and I've got people in mind, have no problem telling me their opinion and their belief. They may not call it their religion or their God, but their idolatry and wanting to force that on me. And they have no fear of offending me. 
<laughs> no fear of the relationship being over. And so I think we need to be in loving way and graciously, but we need to become bold. To say, you know what, I want to share this as much as I can. I love them. And I'm going to continue on. Hopefully you'll see this. Charles Spurgeon, who I quoted earlier, says this. If Jesus is precious to you, okay, I want you to hold on to that. If you would say yes, I agree with that. If Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. Now let's look at this from a different place. I've used, I've used this example before as well. Atheist celebrity, Penn Gillette, I'm assuming that's how you say his last name. He says something from a different perspective. So once again, this is a very known, um, popular atheist. He says, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. If you, don't, if you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, which, by the way, sojourn we do, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I think this atheist is on to something. He doesn't believe it. He doesn't agree with it. But if you put yourself in the category that does, how much do you have to hate someone not to want to share this with them? I think he's nudging us to say, hey, get over your awkwardness if this is genuinely what you actually believe. And so, yes, yeah, sharing your faith can be uncomfortable. But we must re remember our faith is worth sharing regardless of any level of comfortableness or awkwardness. And remember that the Holy Spirit is within us. That you don't go and share on your own. You go and share through the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's the, here's the kind of like refreshing thing for me. It's not my job to save anyone. You can't save anyone. I can't save anyone. It's not my job to convince somebody this message is actually genuine and true. It's my job to go share and proclaim. And there's something that, that happens in between where the Holy Spirit, I mean, think back to your own life. There was a time in everyone's life, even if you got saved as a young child, that you didn't believe this. And at some point, it was the Holy Spirit revealing this to you, your eyes being open, your ears hearing, and then it made it. And so, in some ways, it makes it worse. Like we, we, yes, is it going to be uncomfortable to a degree? Sure. Will it be a little bit awkward? Sure. But you're not trying to plead with them and convince them. You're just saying, hey, I'm just, I want to share my, tr my truth, as our culture likes to say. I want to share the truth with you. But let the Holy Spirit do the Holy Spirit's job, which is the saving, the convincing. And here's a simple thing we can all start doing. Here's a real practical thing we can all start doing every single day. Before you leave your house, pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, give me an opportunity to share your love and grace with someone who needs it today. Simple prayer. And as Keller put it, I love this thing. I think about that prayer. This is the next person you pray for and or share the gospel with may be one of God's elect. And you may be part of the way that God has ordained to bring them to faith. Then we forget that sometimes. As simple as praying, God, give me an opportunity, or maybe you're praying for someone by name, as we did a couple Wednesdays ago, that that person could be the very next person who, who God is opening their heart, opening their eyes. Right? So like, we have our role to play, but God's got his role to play. And that we're trusting God in that Process. Believe it or not, there was a time and place in your life, and you may not know this person's name, that someone was praying for you. I guarantee that. There was someone in your life who thought, man, I'm praying for that person. If you grew up in a, a family that, that had belief in Jesus and the church, it's probably when you were in the womb. 
And if it wasn't, if one of your family members became a Christ follower or one of your close friends, they probably started praying for you by name. And so now we should want to go and share the love, share the wealth, and go and, and do the same for others in our lives. And so mission requires us to serve and to speak. Which brings me to number four. Mission is costly. In Luke 9, 57-62, he says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those of my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand in the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I think one of the hardest healthy aspects of mission is a sending culture, which means eventually one of the costly things is hard goodbyes become part of mission. But think about God. God is ascending God. God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus. Jesus sent out his disciples. The first disciples went and made other disciples, and what did they do? They sent them out. And then healthy churches are churches that send and multiply. I think during seminary, Andre and I were part of a what they call a small group in this church that we were part of. A very, very large church. And so the small group really was about 20 adults, and it was one of the closest groups that I've ever been part of. And just absolutely, just loved it when we get together. I think it was, I don't know if it was Wednesday or Thursday nights, but just loved it when we get together. And just, I, I told you a couple weeks ago, I'm to help pay for some plumbing and stuff that happened in our life. And so it would have been really easy for us to go, man, let's just continue this like close-knit group. Let's just stay together. But the church that we're part of was constant multiplying and sending for the sake of mission. And so while it would have been easier to go deeper and just stay with that group, what we ended up doing is about a year, year and a half in, we multiplied into three groups. Was it costly? Yes. Did we see some of those people less? Yes. But what it did as a result is it made more room, more opportunities for other people to be able to get discipled into the ways of Jesus. And so as a church, we're about gathering what we're doing right now, what, we, what we're doing on the weekend, at least those of you in the room. I can't speak for everybody else. <laughs> we're also about scattering. When, when I talk about normal, we send you out into your norms and your networks, right? All those spheres, all those domains where we send out missionaries. And a sojourn, though, in time, we desire to multiply everything we do. Right? I think one of the challenges for a church in our, I'll just say, season or even size, is I think we have some really good things going. But it can easily become, I think in church of any size, but where we're at, I think it can easily become where it's like, man, we love this so much. So, yes, we're welcoming outsiders, but like we're not intentionally going because we just love what we have. And so I always want us to be mindful. And we want to, we want to multiply even tables, right? These are smaller discipleship groups. As we grow, because we want other people to be able to feel like they can plug in and get discipled. We want to, we want to in time, be able to multiply our gospel community so that we can have different neighborhoods and different uh, quadrants of the city represented. We, we eventually, I think I mentioned this recently, but like we actually, from day one, have set aside 4% of our internal giving. It's in this, this probably still fairly small fund, but it's this, this fund that's slowly growing to help start another church at some point in the future. And that what's great is as a church, we can say, like, man, all right, how much is in there? Cool. Let's use this to bless this church over here. Let's do this to help start this over here. Maybe one of you one day is like, hey, I'm feeling this call to go plant a church. And we say, cool, we've got some money that we can help bless you with. And we want to, we want to multiply mission opportunities. And the whole reason is not because we ever want to split the group up, because we want to give as many opportunities to the city around us to follow Jesus and to be discipled to his 
ways. But it won't be easy because mission is costly. This brings me to my fifth and final point. Mission is often mundane. So I, I kind of took a lot of this passage out. If you want to look at Romans 16 later, and I'm not going to take time to read all of it, you'll see a bunch of different names in here. You'll recognize a couple of names, but then you got all these other names that you're like, who is this person? I've never heard of this person. And then you realize that, that they are a brief mention here in Scripture. And so we find this list of people who Paul is greeting and saying, you know, this person this and this person this. They're mostly unknown. They get such a brief mention in the pages of Scripture. But I think the reason I wanted to mention this is this, this is most of us. Most of us are going to be a brief mention. As important as our lives are individually, we're, we're probably, most of us probably aren't going to really pop up in the history books as some known historic figure. Like, I don't, I don't know that they're going to be quoting any of us one day in messages in the future. Maybe. So most of the mission is often mundane. It's just our daily life, what God has called us to. I think going back to, to my generation, I think we thought, man, like, like I grew up thinking missions was something that you move to like Africa, to the bush of Africa, you have to wear really funny looking clothing and eat weird foods, and then every three years you get to come up with what they call a furlough and you get to tell crazy stories. That's kind of what I grew up thinking missions was, probably because I had an aunt and uncle and that was their life. But for most of us, everyday mission is often mundane. It's washing dishes, it's being with our kids, it's being with our family, being with our friends. And so I want to ask, why is it easier for us sometimes to go to the other side of the world or to think about missions as going to the other side of the world than it is to go across the street to talk to our own neighbors? I think part of it, it's, it's uncomfortable oftentimes to share our faith with those in our immediate context. Because we continue to do life with those in our immediate context and it can get awkward. Whereas if you go to another country, you're like, it's already awkward because there's a language barrier and I'm speaking through a translator or I'm speaking their language in a, in a broken way. So it's oftentimes easier to care about those who we don't know than it is to care about those that we do know. But when we think about things through the lens of mission, we think about our hobbies, our, our interests, our neighborhoods, our workplaces. How it is that mission is often mundane, but that we are called to be on mission every single day. You see, missions isn't just something that's possible by a passport because you get to go and fly to some other foreign land. It's a paradigm shift that should change everything that we do. If you wake up realizing, man, I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and I am on mission. And God, where have you called me on mission today? For most of us, as we get out of bed, and we put on our slippers, and we get our coffee, and we walk, you know, get dressed, get out the door, it's, it's when it starts right there at home. But then it's also like, where is it that you're, you're going to? Like, that is where God has called you in this season to be. Every Monday and everyday mission includes being a good mother, being a good father, being a good sibling, being good roommates, and being a good neighbor. That is a huge part of mission. And then collectively, as a church family, that means being the church to the community and to the city where God has called us. Like, this is one of our most powerful witnesses, is being the church. And this is how we are on mission, that people go, man, there's something about that group collectively. And so if you look big picture, most of us are going to be like these names. Dude, I, don't, I don't even know how to say some of these names. Hermes, Petrobus. You know, it's like, who, who are these? But most of us are going to be these people when we read this big picture. Figures are barely mentioned in the New Testament. But as we give ourselves to mission week in and week out, 
as we continue to live this life consistently, as we continue to have the posture, God, use me however you want to use me, it's actually quite a revolutionary act of mission that we're on. Because the church is an imperfect organism, but if this is the way that God designed it. You've heard this before. I don't know who said it originally, but the church is God's plan A. There is no plan B to reach the world. We are the plan. God left it that way. It's an imperfect plan, not because God's plan is imperfect. His plan is perfect, but, but we are imperfect. But this is the plan to reach the world around us. And so I don't know if there's much else that you can give your life to that's as worthy as just being part of his everyday mission and being part of his bride, the church. But our postures as disciples should always be, here I am, Lord. My future is yours. Send me. You know, you've, heard, you've heard rumblings of some in our own congregation who, who are wrestling through or, or figuring out exactly where God wants to place them. For some of us, we may always stay where we are right now. For some of us, it may be going to a different city. For some of us, it may be going to a different state. Hopefully, it's a sunnier place if God calls us to go somewhere else. For some of us, it may be staying right here. But the point is that our posture was God, here I am, send me wherever you have. Because as a church, we've been called to go and to make disciples to make disciples. Here in Portland, in our nation, in our world. And one day, we'll be worshiping around the throne of Jesus. And all local expressions of church will be gone. I don't think we'll get to heaven one day and be like, all right, sojourn, there's your corner, kind of that small one over there. Okay, maybe church, here's, you get this big section, right? You get the whole level here. All right, church, no, we'll all be gathering around the throne of Jesus. On our knees, there'll be a great multitude. It says that no one can number from every nation, from every tribe, from all people groups, all languages, and we'll be saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might to be to our God forever and ever. Amen? Amen. That'll be a glorious day. And then I think, well, one, I don't know. I think I'm always like, man, when I get to heaven, I'll think back. Like, I don't know if we'll think anything about this world. Like, I might we'll be like, ah, you know, you get to Disney World. I know this is a bad analogy. You get to Disney World, you don't think about, like, what happened before you got there? Like, ah, man, all the lights and the sounds and the rides, and this is right, you're soaking. And then we'll get to heaven, and it'll be like the best day we can imagine. So I don't know that we'll be thinking about, but let's just say hypothetically we can rewind the tape. And I think we'll go, man, it was all worth it. And that money that I thought, I'm just wasting it by giving it to mission, it was all worth it. And that offer conversation that I have, but now that you're in heaven, like we're both here. Remember, I was so worried about sharing with you. I thought the friendship was over, but now we're here. That family member had written off, but now they're here with me. We're worshiping on the throne of Jesus. Because God has called us to this mission. And it's not our mission. It's his mission. And so as a church, that is why our third value is mission. Let me pray for us. I'm going to go over a few priorities. Lord, thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for making a way for salvation. God, we start with the gospel, and we never get over the gospel. We thank you for that. We thank you for then giving us this family called the church. Although it's imperfect, this is the way that you designed it. That we were dependent on one another, but ultimately dependent on you. And then God, realizing that you called us to your mission, that you have placed us, and so that we would go do greater things than you did while you were here walking on this earth because of the Holy Spirit within us. And so God, I pray that the people of Sojourn, that we would see our role as missionaries day in and day out, in the mundane. That we don't think that it has to be this some crazy mission going to some crazy place. 
but it is just the everyday life. But at the same time, God, that we would always have an open heart, open posture. That is where you call us. Because, God, our heart is for the unreached as well. For the unreached, unengaged people groups. Even in this moment, God, I pray for those this morning broadly. God, specifically, you've put the Philippines in my heart this morning because I know a family who recently uprooted their lives to move there. And so, God, I pray for those people groups. I pray that they would hear the name of Jesus. I pray that they would hear this message of love and grace and that we would hear reports of how you're moving and working in that nation. God, we love you. Thank you for allowing us to join your mission. And God, regardless of how uncomfortable it may be at times, that we'll do it out of obedience to you because of our loyalty to you. In your name, amen. So a few, few priorities, just kind of continuing with the theme that we've done in this series that we're committed to as a church family in 2024, and this is kind of going in line with the main points this morning, is one, we are committed to living a holy lifestyle. Not a perfect lifestyle, because reality is we're all going to mess up and fall at some point, but that our commitment is to living a lifestyle that reflects Jesus. Number two, we are committed to living in such a way for the flourishing of all of creation. So part of this, I don't know if I really did a good job putting it in kind of my point, but this idea of creation cares, if you've heard of that. I think historically for a long time, the church was kind of looked at as, man, they don't care about creation, they don't care about the environment, they don't care about the planet. But actually as Christians, we should because our God is the creator God and he's the one that created those things. Now we live in a city that is highly values those things and not because of that, but because of our God who created it, we should also value these things. And as we get in conversation, we can even show them, this is why I care about this. Third, as we are committed to serving and sharing locally and globally. That we would have that posture when we wake up every day and say, God, how can I, one, serve? How can I just show your love without opening my mouth? And how can I also share your love by having a conversation with someone? Number four, we're committed to giving our time, our talent, and treasure in order to see the mission move forward. So as opportunities come up, that might be like a serve night. That might be, hey, we've got a specific group. We've got some conversations going around about maybe even going on our first international trip, which, which is, may actually be to Canada. Right? It's not that far. We can maybe even drive there, but it is international, and like Vancouver is a global city. So there's some potential opportunities, and maybe, maybe there's a specific trip, and there's a talent that you have or ways that you can help with your treasure to fund maybe some of the mission we go on. And number five, we are committed to living a missional lifestyle, that as a church, we're challenging one another to continue to live our lives in such a way that our prioritizing his mission, his priority, his agenda, not our agenda. And that we're going to look at continue to do that in 2024. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.